the judge asked two questions. She said, do you know what the day of the week it is? Yeah. He said, no. She said, do you know where your elbow is? He said, no. And she looked at me. She said, I'm ruling him incompetent to testify and I'm striking all of his testimony out. Welcome to the Elite Few Podcast, where we explore the fabulous, extraordinary world of the people who move the needle of success. Join our host, Tiffany, and producer, Kyle, as we dive into the stories and insights of the elite few who are making a difference and pushing the boundaries of what's possible. Let's get started. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Elite Few Podcast. Today, we are on site. You can see that we got a different background. It's our one of our first times we ever got on site. Um, if Just make sure that you share, follow, follow us on YouTube all the major podcast areas. And today we've got a very special guest, Tiffany, go ahead and take it over, introduce yourself and who our guest is. Hi everybody, it's Tiffany. I'm so glad you're joining us today. You know I love having you here. We got an amazing, we have an amazing interview planned. I'm really excited, this goes right along with our um, abuse, trauma and addiction series that we've been going over and I really think this is amazing. So we have Tally. Oh. You want me to just say just it? Just say it. Okay. <laughs> My last name is Arengia, um, but I, I practice under Van Viren. Yes. So there we go. Um, I really, we just practiced a hundred times that. So there we are with my vulnerability and not getting words. So Tally is uh, an attorney and she is practiced in Pennsylvania. She's also passing the bar in Ohio or not the bar, but getting the- I'm about to be sworn yes. in to the Supreme Court of Ohio in about two weeks. Yes. Woo-hoo. Waiting on exactly. the Supreme Court to let, give me the go ahead. Yes. So we're very excited about that. Tally is an expert in domestic um, abuse and, and violence. She works on many, many cases. And one of the most um, real things I think we can understand and get from her is why these cases go the way they go in courts. Um, I've mentioned to you guys before that I did guardian letter work. It is insane the things you see unfold. If any of you have been actually involved in these cases, you'll realize um, they don't always err on the side of the children. So we're gonna go right into this and let's jump off with that question and get it out of the way right away. Why do you feel when they go to court, they do not err on the side of children um, to just be safe? Why, if, when it's all said and done to the outside public, it looks like why weren't they just giving this to children in case it's true? What is the reason the judges take more of a side to look at So I can speak to Pennsylvania law, okay? And what I can tell you is the main thing that they look, there's 23 factors, but the main thing that they look at is the best interest of the child. With that being said, the law, as we know, is very black and white. There is no gray, okay? Domestic violence is very gray. And not only that, but a lot of the judges and a lot of the court personnel, just people in general, they don't have a lot of knowledge when it comes to domestic violence. So things that aren't common for people who have not experienced domestic violence, it it's not black and white, okay? The law is black and white and domestic violence is gray. So a lot of times judges, unfortunately, even if they believe the victim or they believe the child or whatever, they want to rule a different way, they can't because they're stuck under the words of the law. Okay, so in order to actually see more positive results in the future, people need to write laws with wording that protects the child first. But we do have situations where that could be take, it could be used against innocent people. I mean, is that kind of the- well, The laws definitely need to expand, but it's not just the laws. I think in general, people need more education when it comes to domestic violence. They need to understand what trauma looks like. We need to understand what it looks like to be in trauma-informed and trauma-responsive. Um, a lot of the judges, you know, they see two people and they see someone who is rambling on and her hair is a mess. I'm just going to use female in this, this but no, please, domestic please, violence does not, domestic yeah. violence doesn't discriminate. So there are males. I have helped males, um, even male versus male. So it doesn't discriminate. Um, but I will use female in their circumstance. They see, you know, she's erratic. She's acting crazy and not realizing, you know, she was just raped the night before or she was, you know, false in prison and things like that. And that's why she's acting crazy when they see a narcissist on the other side completely poised, 
dressed to the nines. Which they always are. They always are because narcissists are very good at that. Yes. That's They know how to work people. That's exactly yeah. how they work the victim. They're very calm, quiet, the whole time they're being an asshole. Yeah. So if you put yourself in the judge's shoes, okay, and you're erring on the side of caution, you see a crazy person yeah. of what you're, you know, because you just see yeah. what's happening that day. And then you see this narcissist, cool, clean, and cut. And your honor, I have no idea what, what she's talking about. Your, your honor, she really needs to be seen by a doctor. I'm really worried about her mental health. Um, mm -hmm. One person can testify very well and the other can't. So a lot of times judges don't have that background knowledge. They don't have the education to realize that's what's happening. So I don't want to put all the blame on the judges, but they do need more education in general. Domestic violence education needs to be taught for all panels of judges, in my personal okay. opinion. I totally agree with you. Um, that actually just went through my head on what the channels would take. So I would definitely like to talk about that later. Um, given some events that I'm going to later this month that I, I think I would want to talk to people about changing some of that. I feel even in Florida, we have our own problems. Um, <laughs> I think, I think when you're up North, the laws have been maybe working longer. I don't know. Um, I do feel, I see a lot happen that shouldn't, but as you were telling me earlier, that can happen up here too. And you had a case in Pennsylvania that was terrible. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, it can happen in any state. It can happen with any case, unfortunately. Um, are you asking me about the one case I lost? Is that what you're asking me about? Yes. Yeah, so Tally doesn't lose. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> unfortunately, I have lost twice. I only count once, though. <laughs> I only count it once. Okay, um, I virginity just the first time doesn't count. Or no, no okay. the other one, she just lied on the stand. So that wasn't my fault. Like, was mm, no, the yeah, first I one. with that one. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. that yeah. Was, that was so she, I mean, screwed yourself over there. But I have lost one case. Um, I will never forget it. It was a four-year-old boy. It was a sexual abuse case. And um, father was accused of raping the son. And I respectfully requested that the judge take the son back in chambers. The judge refused, um, didn't want to follow the 10 years rule exception, any of that. So she questioned the child. He knew where it happened, when it happened, who did it, how he was standing, how many times it happened, um, everything. And I was so proud of him because he, the judge made him testify in front of his rapist and who's also his father, right? Yeah. Um, extremely difficult. Oh, extremely, yeah. extremely. And he's looking at his dad the whole time like, yes, daddy did this. You know, even for kids who don't testify and just have to face that person again. Extremely uncomfortable and traumatic. Yeah. Extremely traumatic. Yeah. And this boy's four years old. Okay. And this just happened. He's explaining how he, you know, was bent over and it was in the bathroom and all the things. And then the judge asked two questions. Um, she said, do you know what the day of the week it is? Yeah. He said, no. She said, do you know where your elbow is? He said, no. And she looked at me. She said, I'm ruling him incompetent to testify. And I'm striking all of his testimony out. So four. he's four. Yeah, he's four. So we went back downstairs. Um, I was the legal advocacy director for um, the Protection from Abuse Office in York, Pennsylvania. So I went down in the office and um, the little boy goes, so you're not going to make me go back to daddy's house this weekend, right? And I just looked at him and I said, just one moment, okay? And I, I walked in the other office and I fell on the floor, literally just in front of my coworkers and sobbed like a baby. And then I picked myself back up, walked back in the room and safety planned. Safety planned with the mom and I safety planned. Um, I had the little boy, you know, go out and play with Play-Doh and all yeah. this stuff with my coworkers. But I safety planned with my mom or with my mom, with the, the mom. mom. Yeah. Um, and I felt horrible. She's like, should I just run? Like, what, what do I do? She's like, he's going to rape him again. And well, as a, as an yeah. attorney, I can't, you know, um, but I definitely safety planned with her. Um, that was the one case that I have lost and I will never, ever forget that case. Um, what, um, now we, we just talked last night about, um, in an interview and I think it's running the week before this. So, uh, people didn't get a chance to see it. Please go back and watch. And it is on, directly how not dealing with these traumas mm -hmm. as you grow up will affect the rest of your life. Yes. This um, particular child got to at least voice himself and be heard, even though he wasn't received by the adult who was supposed to protect him in that case, the judge, it, it, you have to, you have to realize, everybody has to realize how hard it is for these little children. And um, I'm just, I'd say this in the three other episodes, I think, Kyle and I did it. I'm going to make this really clear to anyone watching. If you are a parent and you're allowing this to happen, shame on you. And as I speak these words, I say, may God help you because I hope everything horrible comes after you. You have no right to not defend a child. But that being said, these kids, 
rely on this court system, which is so outside of their range. They don't, it, if it doesn't protect them, then they're vulnerable to go back and get hurt again and abused by the same people. And that will cause serious issues. What was your safety plan? Explain how you put something like that together. So this I want to supervision, right? This is just going back. Yeah, this was just going back. But I want to clarify a little bit what you said, because okay. I, I agree with you, but and, and yes, so for children as well, but it's also for adults who I, I've had people okay. come in and they're 25 years old and they're like, I sat down with you and I've never told anybody this before, but I was raped and they explain it. And it's not just judges and courts not protecting children. It's not protecting anyone sometimes, you know, so it, it like I said, domestic violence, sexual assault, it does not discriminate. It doesn't matter your economic status, your occupation level, all that jazz. Um, it does discriminate, period. I've had anyone and everyone come in and out of my office, and I've helped men, women, and children, everyone. Um, but it does especially make it harder, especially, you know, I've had some people, this is the first time they're saying it out loud, like I was raped or I, you know, was assaulted and then I got pregnant, whatever. And then they go in front of the judge, like this kiddo did, right? And then the judge basically says, I don't believe you. And that's gut wrenching. It's heart wrenching, right? Um, and it makes you not like, well, it, I told, everybody wants and nobody did anything. So I might as well just suffer, you know? So who knows what happens after that? So that's why it's my job to make them extremely com comfortable when they get into my office, validate them, validate their feelings, validate that it's not okay. And that they're always welcome to come back to me. And then I, I will get them resources. So I'll get them in therapy, you know, I'll get them in shelter if they need be, um, if they need shelter, if they need, you know, shampoo and conditioner, because that's what's important to them. I will get them shampoo and conditioner. Um, but making them feel safe and our office is what, well, I say our as if I still work there. I just moved, so I don't work there anymore. But making them feel safe and validated is huge because if they have someone that does believe them, they'll come back to you again. And I've had that happen so many times. Um, and actually, I hate, I don't love when it happens, but I love when they feel comfortable enough to come back to me. Yeah. Um, but safety planning. Your question originally was about safety planning, right? Right. What would that, what did it look like? Because how do you, I mean, I don't even know other than my way of handling it, which we shouldn't do, but what would be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe not Tiffany's way of handling it. Um, definitely go to an attorney or someone, uh, even a domestic violence advocate, um, sexual assault advocate, something, someone like that. Um, safety plans will look different for everyone. And that one specifically, I mean, this happened like eight years ago, right? Seven years ago, but I probably would have looked at, okay, he's going back this weekend. So I want you to take pictures of you know his physical appearance before I want you to take him to the doctor beforehand if she was sure it was going to happen again, mm -hmm. which is disgusting, right? Like you're sure you it's going to happen, yeah. so you have to send your kiddo to go get assaulted and then bring. It's disgusting. It's disturbing. I, nobody wants to hear it, but at the same time, and I've seen this happen. If you do not send kiddo back to fathers, I will have hold you in contempt and I will jail you. And I've seen it happened. I've seen it happen, excuse me. So um, unfortunately, if you don't run, you have to send your kiddo and you have to do the best you can. So safety planning, you know, taking pictures, talking to your child, giving them a cell phone. If anything bad happens, they can call 911 immediately. Um, having a hidden cell phone, having a AirPod, Apple, find it, find me location thing. So that way you can always know where your kiddo is. Um, FaceTiming a lot with the child, where are you? Who are you with? Um, even asking, you know, if you're close with other family members, like a paternal grandmother, like, hey, do you mind just yeah. hanging out? Because some, I've seen some paternal grandmothers and maternal, who's ever, you know, yeah. the abuser, friends with the other one, friends yes. with the victim. Yeah. So it really does help out in that sense. Um, but safety planning in general looks different for, for everyone. It's different for every case. But it takes quite some time, anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour to sit down and get a concrete safety plan. And sometimes, you know, we're part of that safety plan. I need you to call me at 8 p.m. Like I've, I've had to talk to my clients or my victims at 8 p.m. to make sure that they're still okay. I want you to check in with me. And then I want you to call, you know, the police if this happens, X, Y, Z. But we always have hidden cell phones, um, cameras, all the things. We have... Now, could you have appealed that case given the fact that, because I know, I don't know, many people watching don't know how appeals work. We all know it's a word. Yes. We hear it. Yes. And we don't really know how it's applied. So couldn't you have appealed, especially since the judge didn't want to file or follow certain protocol that you would do with the child? Um, what, is there anything that could have been done? So you can appeal. You can appeal um, a protection from abuse orders decision. I believe you have... Um, within 10 or 30 days. I don't remember, to be honest, Pennsylvania law, I have to go back. It's been, it's been a while people. Um, but you have a certain time, but you also have to 
weigh your pros and cons. Okay. So in your county, it's one family, one judge. So I'm going to get the same judge. That's number one. Number two, I know how she acts when you appeal her. So it's going to be worse. Number three, you have to understand that the trauma that the kiddo has already been through and how traumatic it could be again. Okay. Most of the time when I have a kiddo, unless they are gung ho on testifying, I ask, I specifically request, you know, that they testify in chambers if I have them testify at all. Sometimes I'll just have them bring in the video of a CAC interview, um, which is, you know, an interview with a specific person who is educated in pulling out that testimony from a kiddo, like play therapy or things like that. So I don't have to re-traumatize the kid because every time you talk about it is re-traumatizing and it's vicarious trauma, right? Like I'm sitting there and if you're, you know, telling me all your trauma, I'm hearing it again and again and again. The kiddo is saying it again and again and again. Yeah. It's traumatic. So it's it's also the parent's decision. Like, is it worth it? And this stance, I gave the mom her options. She didn't think it was worth it this time. She wanted more proof because that's what the judge wanted. She wanted the physical evidence. She wanted him to have a safe exam. Um, and there's a big deal with that. So yes, um, we all know it, it, we, we got trained in, in the 90s and the 80s. Go to the hospital, no matter how traumatized you are, get the evidence. Um, adults want to hide stuff. This is common, right? So what I can't even imagine with a child what's going on. What ends up happening that they don't have enough physical evidence on things um, with these, with the kids, especially since it's so easy to tell your husband's a doctor, yeah. he would be able to tell in a second. Well, you would think so for this specific case, he just had bruising and they said that he was on a rocking horse. Um, that was the excuse. And the, the grandma, um, so said, Oh yeah, I have a rocking horse at my home. And, and he was using that. So it just depends on the case. Grandma? Oh, the so grandmother. Now listen, the grandmother wasn't necessarily going against the child. She truly believed this. For this specific case, if I'm going back, yeah. I honestly don't remember. It was so okay. long ago, okay. but that was the excuse because he did have bruising around the anus, um, but it, he was on a rocking horse. So yeah, um, We all have rocking horses. And, um, your kids have lots of stuff to rock on. Wow. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> but safe exams in itself, um, a lot of people blame the victim. They're like, why didn't you go? You know you're supposed to go to the hospital. Yeah. Number one, no, you can never shame them or, or guilt them. But I want you to imagine too, so you were just raped. Then you got to go and get this exam. You have to strip off your clothes. You have to spread your legs. You have to get pictures of all of your, you know, you have to get yeah. rid of your clothes. So then, you know, it could be your favorite outfit. It could be whatever. And I know that doesn't seem as important, but you could um, have. Getting rid of my favorite outfits is like tearing my skin off. I exactly. I had to do it with like a three closets full of clothes. So I can't imagine after being raped having to dispose of things that you are, I spent $200 on this dress, but you can't keep it and you don't want to. And it's, you're caught, now you're being violated on top of all of this. And then you're sent home in, in scrubs or in whatever. Scrubs, yeah. Um, thankfully we do have a resource for that. They do. Oh, um, you can get refunded. So yeah, it's, um, called, it's called VCAP in Pennsylvania victims, okay. um, assistance compensation program. So basically, um, say you're, sexually assaulted. Okay. And you have to get rid of your favorite outfit. They will actually refund the money for those clothes. And it's, and that sounds so silly, yeah. Yeah. but it no. can't exactly. It's the little things. Okay. Yeah. Um, but people for safe exams, yes, it's important. And yes, they can save the DNA without attaching your name to it. I believe it's from for three to five years. Um, so if you're raped again, or if there's another, you know, sperm that matches yeah. DNA that matches, whatever. Um, and those clothing things might not matter to everybody. So don't bother commenting how little that is, because if it's not you that it's happening to, you don't understand. And the reality is all of these things fall into play and it could help a victim heal. It couldn't even just, yes, but it couldn't, it's not even just uh, jewelry. It could be, you know, from her father or yes. from his mother, whoever was sexually assaulted, little things. Okay. And I, everybody's different. Everybody experiences traumatic events differently and things mean people hold things on a different level. Okay. So it, it is what it is. So it might be minuscule to some, but it might be extremely important to others. So just keep that in mind, but um, yeah, no shaming. And if they decide not to get a safe exam, they decide not to. And we actually would take pictures in our office if they requested not of genitals. Let me clarify that. What did happen with that child? Did they get, they didn't, was she not able to get a safety exam? With the child? Yeah. Um, I don't remember. I just, I remember there was bruising around the anus and that was our evidence. I don't believe that there was any um, tearing. 
that's yeah that's the uh, that's the main thing they try to look for judges yes um the judges really want the physical evidence because like we talked about law is black and white yep. domestic violence is not black and white because and what if trauma training he just said daddy did xyz yeah. you know that could be fingers that could be we don't know we don't so know. there might not be um but a lot of judges don't see it like that um so <clears throat> this um i so much has changed in what 50 years let's be honest oh yeah look at where we are now marital rape is now a thing so I was just going to say that. Yep. Thank you, Tally. Woo! So anyone watching that um, wasn't born with a one in front of your birth year, you might not even know this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't mean that. Anyway, I mean, probably. I don't know. So anyway, <laughs> but yeah. So the, in 1971, which was the year I was born, and yes, that does mean I'm still 38. Don't. Math isn't a thing. Um you weren't allowed to physically rape your wife still in every state in this country. And that has now changed everywhere across the board. Correct. And um, it is really absolutely horrible what they were allowed to do mm -hmm. back then. We also have social pressure today where um, in the seventies, women had so little rights mm -hmm. and we, socially people could say i don't agree with it but do you know about the rule of thumb yes you know that okay let the her, switch let her tell you about the switch let's talk about it because the rule of thumb people hear it and they say it's rule of thumb it actually means so back in the day yeah. um rule of thumb was so, that a woman could go pick out a switch but it could not be bigger than her thumb otherwise it was abuse yes. so the man yes. could beat her with that switch as long as it wasn't bigger than her thumb yeah that's the rule of thumb. So lovely. It's yes. so exciting. Um, <laughs> so just, wow. But we have come so far, even from, I, I know in the 80s, I was in high school, um, from 86 to 90, um, still math is not a thing. Um, it wasn't the same. If you, t if you brought up a rape situation, I really don't know very many people I went to school with that were physically assaulted in some way or raped during these times. One in three girls yes. are uh, experience some type of inner partner violence, yes. Um, well, and if we go on to family members, strangers, dating situations, um, everything, I actually think it's way higher. Oh, I'm sure it is. Yes. I'm sure it is. Um, given just everything we know. Yes. And, um, it, we, you couldn't, you didn't come forward. And I don't know very many people that had only one experience. Correct. So a lot of times it is a cycle, especially within families. Right. Um, or like I, I had a situation with a, a friend of the family. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't even a family member, which was ironic given the alcoholism in our family, but no, it wasn't, <laughs> it was an outsider. But the reality was it wasn't an outsider. Mm -hmm. I'd grown up with this person. I didn't, you know, it was one of those people that you don't know. Right. Yeah. Um, five or six years from now, your children will just be like, oh, it's grandma's friend Tiffany. Um, yeah. <laughs> Mark Disney is the she's again. So you, you entrust yourself and these people are supposed to care for you. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I brought this up many times. Many times you overlook the abuse because uh, you're little. Mm -hmm. And I said this to people on many occasions when I discussed it, I haven't talked about it on the show yet, but I, that person was nicer to me than my mom. My mom was verbally and physically abusive to us. Mm -hmm. Our five kids, she was an adult child of an alcoholic and her own narcissism issues that mirrored my husband's. And, um, which is not uncommon, which explains a lot, right? Yeah. So those situations, I, I still felt more comfortable around him. And you do, they do things you called love bombing. After. You didn't have the situation after I was nine, there were no other situations. Yes. yes, but you love bomb that person and you make them, you know, the, the abuser makes you feel bad for them and all the things. Um, um, he didn't do that, but he would, he was nice and mm -hmm. polite and not abusive in other ways mm -hmm. and watched out for us. Like I wasn't allowed to leave the house without a quarter. Anyone who doesn't know what that means, there were no cell phones. We had to use a pay phone in case you were lost and they were everywhere and get a quarter in. Just informing those without a one in front of their name. Um, <laughs> their birth. Their birth. Yeah. Yeah. But he he was, this was like an insistent thing. Mm -hmm. And he would always give us money because we couldn't leave that. Like 
I Sometimes abusers are very on. caring oh, yeah. in other ways. Yes, yeah. Yes. I mean, he, the idea of me leaving is a teenage girl and, um, his, his wife is still to this day, one of my best friends. And, um, it was the one I went to when my trauma stuff happened, which we're covering in another show. But the reality is you feel comfortable and then it moves on. And so you don't turn, you don't turn them in. Yeah, because it shifts. And a lot of abusers, they do, they find, you know, I call them the helpers. Okay. Yes. So that's people who are very empathic, people who care deeply about other people. Um, we're easy. We're easy pickings, right? Yes. Because we want to help them. Like, yeah. oh, you grew up in an abusive home and you this is how you've learned it. Okay, like, let me help you. And then you start to realize, like, no amount of help is going to work. But you feel bad for them because you love them at one point in time because they were the best person you could ever imagine. And, you know, people look in. Do you mind talking about your personal life? And no, not at all. We're on the ACEs test. Oh, yeah. So I took the ACE test. Um, my number is five. Um, my sister's number is six. The link will be right here below. So please, um, definitely, if you didn't take it last week, go ahead and tune in, take that test, see where you are. Go ahead. Check your A score. It's, yeah. it's just interesting to know. Uh, my husband's number is zero. So, you know, uh, <laughs> I know, right? Like, uh, love him. And which is great. <laughs> it's great. And I'm so happy for him, but yeah, it's, it's too, important yeah. for people to know where, where they, where they land. Um, my personal experience with domestic violence happened. Um, it started when I was little. I grew up in a, a home with domestic violence, um, not towards me physically, but there are four types of domestic violence. There is physical, verbal, mental, and financial. Um, so I grew up with the mental and verbal abuse, and then the abuse actually happened physically to my mother and my sister sometimes. Um, I repeated the cycle, and I had started dating someone in college who was abusive, uh, verbally, mentally, a little bit financially. Um, and then it did begin to get physical right before I started dating Adam and Adam kind of pulled me out of that. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's give them a hand for the zeros. Um, but you know, he loved bomb me and loved mommy and loved mommy. So he was a great, amazing guy. Fives and sixes are healing. Yes. Um, I'll say healing. I think I'd still throat punch a person. Um, but I, I do know how to lay down boundaries. Um, boundaries are important, yes. especially for empaths and helpers. Boundaries. I can't preach them enough. I'm still learning my own. Empaths, we do our really bad work, don't we? Mm -hmm. We're just like, it's fine. It's fine. It's, I, it's great. I feel your pain. I know you're upset, so I don't need to set a boundary for myself. Mm -hmm. But you do, and I'm still working on it myself. <laughs> but that's abuser's worst nightmare yeah. are boundaries. You're not going to treat me that way. Yeah. And it's... Oh, my sister and I both laid boundaries up with my mom with the sheep. She's better with it now, but she's just lying to herself and pretending it's okay because she's so desperate for her five kids to talk to her. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So that'll happen. Um, you went through a lot with, uh, you watched your mom be mm -hmm. domestically abused. Yes. So the idea of you repeating that cycle was natural, but you got to the point that you, because we just talked about that earlier show, you're attracting and not attracting. Mm -hmm. And um, you're both very educated. You. Me and my mom, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Sorry about your mom. Yeah. Your husband's educated too. Everyone. So. <laughs> He's a really cool surgeon. Yeah. <laughs> Pumps those hearts. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the, the reality is, it's inside joke. Sorry guys. Um, the reality is you and your mom are both very educated in areas that should escape you from situations like this. Your, your mom has, has a master's degree in social work, in social work. And wait, let's not forget her um, education and the, Oh, it's her spiritual. It's the, the Christian one. It's religious. Divinity? Re yeah. Something like religious that? Religious something. Yeah. Well, I'll I disagree. There. I disagree with you. And yeah. respectfully, yeah, you yeah. have to understand it doesn't discriminate. It can, no. I've had doctors, I've had surgeons, I've had lawyers, yeah. I've had people with no jobs. And they're like, how could this happen to me? I'm so smart. I have three PhDs and it doesn't discriminate. So that's, mm -hmm. that's number one. Number two, my mom repeated the cycle again. So her father um, was chained to a bed and that dog food. Okay. Um, and then he ended up abusing my grandmother, beat her all the time. And I'm sure you'll hear it from my mom, but also my mom suffered at the hands of her father. And then she repeated the cycle with her boyfriend. And then I received the cycle and I, I ended the cycle for my kiddos. My kiddos don't have to deal with that. I am now free of domestic violence, but I am very passionate about it. And that's why I chose the work that I do. Um, and I really like that. I was going to bring that up. You actually chose to use your response to your trauma and use it to save people. 
Um, yeah, I don't usually tell my victims like, oh, I've been through it because I, it's not about me. Um, my trauma is not their trauma. Their trauma is completely different, but I use it internally to be more empathetic and understand, especially, you know, now that I'm a mom, when it's a kiddo, you know, it's just my gut, oh, twists and turns, knives. Um, but yeah, I use it to be more empathetic about a person's situation because a lot of you hear all the time, well, why don't you just leave? On average, it takes about seven times for a person to leave, okay? A domestic violence situation. That's number one. Number two, they might not have any money. Number number three, it might be the only person that's ever loved them. They might not have family. Like, there's so many reasons, and the I hate when people ask that. one is very difficult mm-hmm. um, when you have kids, especially. Yep. When, you know, when they financially freeze you out, you're you're done. You're well, I see yeah. even I've seen women and men. Okay. Yeah. So they're, you know, lawyers and they're making $200,000. Right. Yes. But the opposite, the, the abuser is in control of that. He gets it deposited into his account and he has control of it. And he tells you, if you leave, I will not only ruin your career, but I will take everything in that bank account. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, there's so many reasons. So please, please, please never ask someone why they didn't leave validate their feelings and get them to a domestic violence program who can safety plan with them and help them get them out when they're ready. It is their choice. But um, all of this being said, I do want to move a step forward with that and tell people if you are watching and not married, do not marry them. I've seen people say, well, I felt like I had to. We've been together this long. No, don't. We're not in that century. We're not there. Don't do it. There's so many fish in the sea. I mean, just... It's not even like I can't get out of the relationship. Don't concrete it so it makes it harder to leave. Because at the point when you're not married, you can just walk away with your kids and never look back. And it will be very hard. Not as hard. Last century, you could kind of walk away. It, you could you could get lost. Yes. Yeah. And. So okay. So I'm going to say and. because no, I love your ands. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad you're liking my yeah. ands. So yes, and. So I've seen people who are pregnant. And the dad will say, if you do not marry me, I'm going to beat that baby out of you. I mean, I've had a woman actively miscarrying on my chair shaking and saying, I have to stay here or he's going to kill me. I have to get this protection order. He's going to kill me. Um, so refusing to go to the hospital, actively miscarrying in our chair. So it, yes, don't marry him if you have the choice, but sometimes there isn't really a choice because like if they go home and they decide not to marry that person. So this is a huge, um, question we really need to cover, especially for the audience. What can people do when they're in these situations, they know there's problems. They know they need to get an attorney. Um, always get an attorney in any situation. You're going to the police, get an attorney first. Immediately get an attorney. It helps you so much validate everything you're saying. Um, but what can you do ahead of time? What can happen? What are the steps that ensure you're going to protect your children or the kids, the grandkids or your nieces and nephews, whoever you're protecting them from, to ensure that these cases can get... So a couple things. Yeah. Okay. So first and foremost, don't just find any attorney. Okay. Cause yes. not all attorneys are trauma responsive. They're just not. Um, that's number one. Number two, a lot of people are like, Oh, you're a free attorney. You must really suck. No, I'm grant funded, meaning you don't have to pay me. And I'm highly, highly educated in this area. That's my expertise. Yeah. I don't lose. <laughs> I have over 200 hours of education for domestic violence, sexual assault. Okay. Um, So get an attorney who knows domestic violence. That's first and foremost. Make sure it's um, free and confidential. So that way your name does not get out whatsoever. Second or third, I guess, document, document, document. And I mean everything. Keep a journal that can be used in court. Hide the journal in a place that the person cannot find it. Get an extra cell phone. It doesn't have to be one that any cell phone will call 911. So we actually hand out, we, we, as if I still work, I'm sorry. The old place I used to work at as the uh, YWCA York, the legal advocacy director, we had cell phones to pass out and that you could hide them in your car. You could hide them, you know, in the closet. If you ever get locked in or whatever, you can call 911 real quick. So always have a hidden cell phone, document everything on every single day. I don't care if it, it it's raining today and he called me XYZ and stole $5 out of my bank account. It adds up. Create that timeline of abuse because a lot of things might sound minuscule, you know, if it's one or two two things. But when you have an entire year of instances, it really helps paint a picture for judges to see, okay, wow, this, look at what this woman is going through. And the attorney can kind of help tell your story on the stand. Um, So really just document everything, have that extra cell phone just in case. Um, 
a lot of an abuse tactic is seclusion. Try your best. I know it's really hard, but if you can not be secluded, that's really helpful too, because then you can have friends. If you don't check in with me by 9 PM, I'm calling the cops or, or whatnot. I mean, I've had one lady, one victim, she was kidnapped for three days. She was false imprisoned and nobody even knew because she was so secluded. So three days, she finally escaped and made it in, you know, but you really, it's, it's easier when you have friends, um, try to make support groups, connections, things like that. Um, also make sure you know your hand signals. This is for domestic violence. If you're ever in a car or if you're ever, you know, it's for those who are listening, it's your thumb down and four fingers up. I mean, people will flash it and I've been in a grocery store and I've had a woman stop me and grab my, you just slide them a card, you know, yeah. and keep going. So just be aware of your surroundings and document everything. I can't, I can't even say that enough. Print out a calendar. Um, wow. There's a, there's just so much stuff. I feel like, um, we could easily cover this again. And you had so many cases and I've had horrific cases. Yeah. Cases. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, the fact that you're helping people and changing lives is amazing. And I think the more education, oh yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Like you said, I, mean, I could be biased, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe a little. Maybe a little. But um, the reality is, though, you 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 took your you took your response to the trauma and the abuse you went through, and you used it to help and change lives. And this is really a, a big thing of what I've been trying to explain on all the other shows: get the help you need, find people to support you, move in that direction, so you can get healed, helped, and make a difference because if, if you aren't changing, right, then you become destructive or self-destructive or destructive to your relationships or repeat your cycle even worse. I could have easily repeated my cycle. And part of that, everybody's dealt different cards, okay, in life. And you can make it make you or break you, yeah. all right? You are in charge of how you respond to your trauma, okay? Yeah. And you are in charge of your healing. So, if you, you know, you can, you can have two people who went through the same stuff I went through and one chose to, you know, not take their path of healing. So really you just have to use your trauma the best you can and heal the best you can and move on in life, whatever you decide to do. But some people, you, you know, stay very far and clear from domestic violence work because they've been through it. And I totally, I see that. And that's, if that's for them, that's for them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, you're dealt with some cards and you just got to figure out how to move on from there. Um, I really am excited about uh, even possibly talking to you again in the future and having another podcast event and going over so many options. People really don't understand that, yes, there's bad cases. There are bad cases that don't work out that will shake you forever. And I, as a guardian light, I had a case, I, I, there's just stuff that you won't let go of ever. And no. you see, but the reality is do what you can, get the help and really I think sometimes the law can be on your side. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it can help. Mm-hmm. Um, really, if you have the ability to change those laws and you're even in a great position coming up that you're going to be able to make a huge difference. Hopefully. So, yes. Hopefully. <laughs> I know. But who knows? Maybe in like four or five years, we'll just be like, Senator. In the area. Yeah. <laughs> in the area I just moved to, they don't have a very expansive um, domestic violence program. So I am trying to actually um, expand their, they have one legal advocate. So I'm trying to expand their legal um, advocacy program and get them an attorney um, and and just help in general. This area, it's highly needed. So I am trying to do that. Um, I also did just receive a job from the prosecutor's office, but I haven't started yet. I have to swear in to, you know, the Supreme Court. (laughs) Thank you. Um, But they also want to talk about some help with their domestic violence program. So I'm going to still keep my toes in domestic violence and, and... hopefully continue to help those. I have, I have my angel stories that like make me want to keep going, you know? Well, I think that's, that's all the stories that you want, the people that you watched, um, get some validation and feel that their voices are heard. Mm -hmm. And I know I bring that up a lot in here about getting heard and feeling that, but I do believe having somebody who um, supports you, cares deeply for you, and you know, they're on your side, go to them. Um, even if you're afraid to talk to them about anything, don't, um, that person cares for you and you know it. I hear more often than not, 
I feel so crazy. I feel so yeah. crazy. I don't want to tell you this because I feel crazy. I'm like, you're not crazy. You're not crazy at all. This happens. This is normal in this type of relationship. Yeah. So if you feel crazy, it's okay. Yes. Well, it, it is because I think um, the sanity of it is this shouldn't feel normal. No. Uh, dealing with abuse and looking back, everything you went through, and I know many people who have been abused, even sexually abused, even had siblings sexually abused, and um, they've never got the chance to have that justice or defended because the other parent was too weak, um, which I don't like at all. I Once you're an adult, you're responsible for fixing yourself, and if you're not going to stick up for your children, that's a problem, and I know you agree with me. But those I know lots of people who have not been able to voice that. And the reality is you have people that are going to help you or they've come into your life and they can help you. So it might not have been when you were five or four or three or six, but now you have those resources, yeah. look into those resources, let them help you help yourself. Um, I can't, I can't explain, express that enough, but make sure it's not just any, any resource program. It's not just some church. It's domestic yes. violence. We really need the domestic violence education yes. because in order to get that validation, I mean, I've even just put simple words and they're like, I've never heard that word before. I've never, yeah. you know, um, it's yeah. really helpful. It's really beneficial. Well, so. with this, with that, with that being said, I just want to make sure we take this chance to tell our, our listeners that if themselves need this help to we'll have other links in there um i believe that you could probably give us a place where we can do a national search for uh, people like yourself to get the proper help when it comes to lawyers or whatnot there's I, the I, national I, coalition of domestic violence we can provide that number for yeah, you that number that link that's going to be in there also too if if you're you know if your tinglies are happening listening to this and you have got someone else in mind that that needs to hear this um, or if they're if you know they're struggling and they may be even opened up to you but they don't feel that there's a place to go please 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 share this episode with them so then they can get this information or take this information to them and get it to them somehow as safely as possible but I just wanted to take this moment you guys were just talking about that and I want to make sure that that this episode and last week's episode and any episode when we're offering you the answers to possible questions that you're having or situations that you're in or friends are in use us share it with your with that person share it with the people that you feel that needs this the most so that's all i wanted to come in and say on that real quick too well because it was a perfect timing <laughs> good job guys you so Tally, you had a really long career in domestic violence what type of horrific things have you seen a lot of things um horrific wise i mean a lot of things um abusers try to humiliate okay so that could be holding down and shaving a woman's head. I've seen that. I've seen men um, pee on women and, you know, degrade them that way. Uh, one of my her most horrific cases, I'll never forget. She was 18 years old. She had gotten pregnant. He had made, he made her miscarry her first child, um, but he, he had got, she had gotten pregnant again. She had the baby and she wasn't allowed to leave the home. Her, um, the mother of, of her boyfriend and the brother of her boyfriend would actually nail the windows and doors shut so she couldn't leave. If she showered, she was timed and her abuser would sit right outside. Um, if she tried to brush her teeth, he would ask her, you know, who are you trying to look pretty for? for? And he would take her toothbrush and rub it in, in dog feces or pee um, and put it back so she couldn't use it. If she spent money, it had to be money that he said, okay, you can, you can spend this and you can go get mac and cheese or whatever. Um, she, after she had her cesarean, he raped her, um, and broke open her, her stitches. Um, cause she said, no, she was in too much pain. It was only three days after she had just given oh, birth. Good Lord. Yeah. Um, and he was actually abusive towards the baby too, just screaming in the face and covering with a blanket and things like that. So there was no physical abuse. Okay. So this is a horrific case, which you would think, I wouldn't win because there's no physical abuse to the baby. Because we under the law, isn't verbal abuse? I was told this by a police officer earlier. That's the only reason I'm saying. Yeah, isn't verbal abuse considered abuse equal to the physical? Not equal to no, no. not okay. for not in the in the court system. Okay. So, and there's no, so it's his word against hers. Who can prove that he's abusive to the baby? So what I did is we filed for protection from abuse order. 
it was a four hour hearing, which is basically unheard of for PFAs. It's normally like 10 minutes long, but it's a four hour hearing. And I went through her entire abuse history because we were trying to cover her and the child. And I, I won the case basically just going through her timeline and going through every single thing she had endured. And then I put brother on the stand and made him admit that he had nailed the window shut and that she was locked in there. I put her dad on the stand to admit, you know, she had been secluded and had to ask for money for food because he, he was controlling so what she her ate. Her husband's brother assisted boyfriend. him. Her husband's boyfriend. So her boyfriend, the brother assisted him in abusing her. Yeah, And so did his mother. Yes. They both did. Wow. 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 Okay. And they actually, okay. I had to call the SPCA as well. Um, they were abusing the dogs as well. And two of them were found dead on the property. Oh my. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Don't give me their names and birthdays ever. Um, Animal abuse is a very yeah. big trigger for some people. Um, but yeah, that's that's just one of the cases they I did. They no, they don't. It's she did, though, and she yeah. told them where the bodies were, and they were charged. Wow. Well, I've got a question for you. Yeah. When it comes to what you've seen, you know, and all of our listeners know that I'm a paramedic, and I deal with some gross things and some pretty tormenting things and sometimes have seen the back end and the hospital time of things that she's talked about. I've been there when the same nurses have gone in to deal with rape victims and whatnot. So I see the medical side of stuff and we deal with in the hospital setting and the EMS setting, we deal with PTSD or PTSI. Oh, yeah. What do you do to help because you're just hearing about it. And we all know that, that actually, even just as dispatchers, as first responders, they have a one in four chance to become um, depressed yeah. because all they do is listen to it. And, and it's the same thing, you know, like Facebook has people that look for bad things on Facebook that yep. get posted. Those people don't let the turnover rate at Facebook for that, for that job is like two months, right? Because it's not just being a part of it and being physically abused or sexually abused, it's hearing about it and that's its own trauma. So my question for you is how do you, like, how do you cope? How do you, do you have your own counselor? Do you like, like, what do you do to help you decompress from these situations? And there may be someone listening that's in a position that you are in or, or hear about it, but don't physically feel it or see it or, or have it happen to them, but want to know what they can do to help themselves cope. So what you're actually talking about is a term called vicarious trauma. Okay. You just hear traumatic stories over and over and over. And it gets to you. It does. Um, each person in my old office, because I don't work there anymore, had um, their own triggers. We all have their own our own triggers. Okay. So what we did is we actually, I was, I was the director and I sat everybody down and we came up with a way to check on each other and make sure, you know, okay, it's ch child sexual abuse. That's Tally's trigger. We're going to have her not take that case. We're going to have, you know, Sarah take that take that case or whatever. So one, I think everybody needs a therapist. I think therapists need therapists. That's number one. Number two, um, I didn't have time to go to therapy. I know that's awful, but I didn't have time because I have two little ones. Okay. Um, so I really relate on my coworkers and even my husband just to be like, okay, I had a really hard day and I just need a minute. Um, I'd go take a walk. I would go do whatever I needed, but my coworkers, thankfully they're godsend. Um, Sarah Cummer, you're out there. Whoop, whoop. Um, she really, you know, checked on me and I check on her and self-care is yes. huge. Self-care. You have to do it, period. Spa day, take a bath. And admit to yourself, yes. hey, I'm really struggling with this. I need a day where I'm going to go do X, Y, Z. I don't care. And I just yelled at my, I still talk to them every week. Yes. We're still really close. Yes. I just yelled at my old paralegal. I'm like, get outside, take five deep breaths and you call me back. Until then, don't, don't talk to me because you're not doing self-care. Um, so yeah, vicarious trauma is real. Uh, if you don't take care of yourself, you're going to have a very high burnout rate and you're not gonna be able to continue this work. And we're going to go ahead and actually put a link in the description of things you can do for self-care. I know I've done some research too on the mental health of the first responder. And there's plenty of things that, that us as first responders and anybody that get these vicarious traumas can do for self-care. Um, we'll put that link in the, in the uh, description as well, just to make sure that you have something right now to get yourself started. If you're, if any of this stuff we're talking about could also trigger yourself while you're listening to this. So we want to make sure that just like we do with all of our other, our shows, we want to make sure that we know that what we're bringing to you to listen to could possibly help you or help a friend. And we want to give you as much information as possible in our, in our description. So we'll have that stuff. And how we um, talked about this um, before you know, there's a nighttime thing called mindfulness that you it's and 
we've gone over it before. Um, it's part of EFT tapping and hypnosis admitting, I feel this way and it's okay. I'm being stressed. And what's the thing you do at night to sleep? The mind mind that makes you admit it. Yeah, I just, I just go through exactly what I'm feeling in the moment. If I'm, if I'm comfortable, if my, if my panties are in a bunch, if you will, I will actually like, hey, I'm not comfortable there. Let me readjust. Um, I will do that to myself and ask myself questions. Whatever's in my brain, I deal with it mentally. And if it's something I can't deal with in the moment, like, oh, get up and go to the bathroom, I admit my feeling it. I admit my feeling it. I definitely tell myself, I, I, I admit this way and I'm, and I'm feeling like I need to address this, but I know I can't right now. So let's just, let's just punt till, till tomorrow. And then now it's we out of my We call it a pause. We actually have a mindfulness coach. Or we, I'm sorry. My, my, my prior um, job, we had a mindfulness coach. Her name is Kristen. She's amazing. You guys should interview her. She's very, very yeah, That's done. I already was, like, was already going to be like, wave at you and be like, hey, hey, mindfulness coach, we got to find a We got to find a mindfulness coach. We could schedule times with her just to talk. And she, she's basically like our, you know, therapist at work. That would be, that's awesome. Yeah. You'll have to definitely speak. Okay. Yeah, we'll do that. Okay. Um, uh, so I know I say so a lot. That's always going to happen people. So it's already to change. We've had comments. People are like, you say so too much. I can't help it. So, so. I'll say it for you. So. Yeah. Yeah. But I seriously enjoyed interviewing with you and I love, um, the opportunity to, talk to people in the criminal system and be able to see how these cases are being taken care of because I don't think people understand. I don't think the mass majority of people realize what really goes on in the court system. And it's not always the judges are heartless. No. And they sometimes want to make better choices, um, but they can't. So just uh, keep, I mean, I, I love, I love, I want to definitely interview again. I'm going to say that hands down, but there's so much we can go over. My gosh. We, I have a million cases we could talk we through. Go through tons of things. Signs and everything of domestic violence. Yes. We can go through. Even how to handle things um, for uh, so many situations. So I'm very, there we go ahead. I'm very excited to have Tally here with us. And I really do hope um, in the future, maybe we'll see Congresswoman Tally or maybe Senator or, yeah. I don't know if I'm that cool, but we'll see. She's certainly that cool. But thank you so much. No problem. I love having you here. So great. I want everyone to follow, um, like, subscribe, share, heal, be healthy, and stay fabulous. Stay fabulous. Take care of your <laughs>